Hello, New Life Downtown. We're continuing our midweek meditations, eight reflections from Romans 8. Week one was about freedom from condemnation. Week two was flesh versus the spirit. Week three was dead yet alive. And today we're going to talk about children, not slaves. Romans 8, verse 14 and 15, Paul writes, All who are led by the Spirit of God, you see, are God's children. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery, did you? To go back again into a state of fear, he asks them. But you received the spirit of sonship in whom we call out Abba, Father. Now, Paul is drawing here from Exodus imagery. The Exodus story is one of the key stories in Israel's history. It's a story that informed their imagination. It shaped the way they, they thought about their relationship with God. And in Exodus, they were led in the wilderness through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And Paul's saying, now for us, the new people of God in Jesus, the Messiah, we're being led by the Spirit. But the leading is not back to Egypt. It's not back to slavery. It's not back to bondage over that power, that entity called sin with a capital S. No, the leading of the Spirit is to a promise. And what's the promise? It's to a relationship with God. And this is where Paul uses this word Abba. It's an Aramaic term that is tender. It's a familial, it's family language. Abba, Father. Paul is saying the destination, the promise that the Spirit is leading you into is not some sort of abstract thing, but it's actually a journey into the heart of God himself. Now, maybe you tripped a little bit when I said the word sonship and wondering why I didn't, like some other translations, just use the word children of God, use the phrase children of God. And that's a good question because certainly this is not about gender, but sonship has a particular resonance in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. Adam was referred to as the son of God, made in God's image, meant to reflect God's rule. And so sonship has this dual resonance of being an image bearer and being a rule uh, carrier, the carrier of God's rule and the bearer of God's image. Israel was referred to as God's firstborn son, the one who, when the rest of the human race were infected with the disease of sin, Israel was chosen to be the carriers of the cure. So they were God's firstborn. Eventually in the Psalms, the king of Israel was then referred to as the son of God. If you notice, it keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It was all the human race, then it was one nation, then it was one person, the king of Israel. But even the king of Israel fails. And so when Jesus arrives as the true son of God, as the gospels call him, Mark's gospel in particular, you understand that he is the only one who fully represents God and who fully reflects God's rule. He is God's representative ruler. Paul is building his good news announcement toward this climactic moment. Jesus is the true son of God in whom we now become children of God. We now become the representatives and the rulers on God's behalf. That's a pretty exalted position. Verse 16 then, Paul says, when that happens, it is the Spirit itself giving supporting witness to what our own spirit is saying, that we are God's children. We know it deep inside. And if we are children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with the Messiah, as long as we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be granted sonship, to be children and no longer slaves? In this text, it means at least three things. One, 
It means that we are heirs. We get in on this. We're not slaves who have to beg. We're children who receive. We're freely given this. This is why Paul had said earlier, just a few verses earlier, we don't owe a debt to the flesh. What has the flesh ever done for you? But instead, we are heirs of the promise of the Spirit. It reminds me of the moment in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 where the father says to the older brother, he says, look, everything I have is yours. Why are you living like it's not? In a very real way, Paul wants our mindset to change, to begin to understand, wait a minute, I'm an heir. Everything that is God's is mine. I don't need to go through life. I don't need to pray or worship or read my Bible as if I'm a slave looking for approval. Secondly, being a child of God means that our suffering is never wasted. Our suffering is always with him. In the first century, there were many Christians who were, in fact, the majority of early Christians were in lower social standing, many of them from uh, lower social orders of classes. And so they experienced a tremendous amount of abuse and suffering. And yet what Paul is saying is, remember, you are united with the suffering Messiah. This Messiah is not the, the kind of king that lives in opulence and indulgence. This is a Messiah who suffered. So even when you suffer, you are united with him. Your suffering can now be a place of union and intimacy because his suffering was an act of solidarity. But he's also talking about a new way. The way of Jesus is the way of suffering that comes from self-giving love. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Paul is saying, look, as kids of the Father, we want to grow up to look like him. We want to look like God. And Jesus, our elder brother, is the one who took up his own cross. So to be a child of God means to embrace suffering as the way, the family way. And then thirdly, to be a child of God means to be confident that glory is coming. Next week, we're going to talk a lot more about what Paul means by glory. It really has nothing to do with shining faces and a whole lot more to do with authority and status and identity. Glory is coming. This is what it means to be a child of God. I pray that you live in that truth this week.